0: Good guys, and welcome to the Coach Mark Carroll podcast. Today, I have a guest, a special guest, my friend, my buddy, Sheridan mm-hmm. Skye. How are you, Sheridan?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me on.
0: I'm sure you guys all know Sheridan I'm from social media, I'm actually a great coach, nutritionist, and Sheridan used to work with me till she fired me and said <laughs> I wasn't good enough and she bullied me and stole my business (laughs) no and now obviously Sheridan works with um, team by Elaine Um, and we also have our pregnancy series together guys which we'll actually chat about at the end but Sheridan do you want to give everyone who doesn't know you a a quick little kind of rundown and tell everyone how amazing I am (laughs) while you're at it
1: Um, I never know what to say in these, these things so yes. I am Sheridan, I am a coach, I've been a coach for over 10 years now, um, mostly, well, no, only really work with women, and I'm a mum of two, a nutritionist, a registered nurse, a nerd or a geek, as Mark was saying five minutes ago, just before we jumped on the podcast. Um, But tattoo yeah, I... Tattoo
0: enthusiast. I,
1: <laughs> a what?
0: A tattoo enthusiast, remember? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, And yeah, so I guess my specialty really is just, you know, aside from the aesthetic goals that a lot of women come to me with, it's just really optimizing women's health. I'm very passionate about women's health in all sort of stages of their life. Um, So, yeah, that's me. And also, yes, a team by
0: Elaine Coach. Sheridan also has a lot of episodes um, on the coach Mark Carroll podcast. We started the original podcast, Sharon Sheridan. Sheridan was the one that got me to mm-hmm. um, get talking. So mm-hmm. you can thank Sheridan for, for that. And we've got a lot of episodes. So yeah, guys actually go back. Cause I know people like listening to older episodes. If you go back to the original episodes last year, there's a ton with Sheridan and even this year, a fair few. So lots and lots of value um, there with Sheridan. Sharon is also a person who I kind of um, really value with their opinion on a lot of things. And so we often chat about uh, well, a lot, lots of different topics around training and nutrition. And today's episode, I want to talk about something that I know a lot of the women out there will value is with nu- nutrition around your period. So we did a podcast probably a couple of months ago around kind of training and training periodization with the period and that was a really good episode if you guys want to go listen to that but i wanted to really kind of pick sheridan's brain around more the calorie side of things your nutrition side of things because obviously me being a guy i don't quite get it you know actually that might be frowned upon saying these days that i don't get that but very well um (laughs) but yes i'm not i'm not um too familiar with having periods so i want to obviously i train a lot of women and you know working with a lot of women you 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 learn to understand a lot of um factors of what what goes into place you know every every month for um for for all of you but i thought it would be really good kind of getting sharon's perspective because she can can really could probably go over the science a bit more, but also probably say it from a bit more of an understanding standpoint. So today's episode, guys, um, what I really want to look at is when you get your period, obviously there's so much information out there these days with you know, spending more calories around that kind of time in the month or in the lead up to it. And so there's a lot of information out there about should you make these dramatic changes? Should you... Um, just stick to the plan. If you're hungrier, does that mean that's a sign that you should eat more? Are you expending more calories? So therefore you should, you should eat more. So these are the kind of things that we kind of want to dive into. So I think, um, Sharon, if you could just start with, because I know a, a lot of women are really, really um, switched on on these topics these days, but still there, there are kind of a lot of people who don't quite get the inner details. Do you want to just kind of explain from a, I guess, a monthly standpoint, what kind of happens, I guess, um, the in the distinct um, phases of the period, and how I guess going into um, going into the period we do well, not we, women do tend to ex- expend more calories, and why this kind of matters.
1: Mm, yeah, so if we look at what the menstrual cycle is as a whole, obviously it depends. In terms of its duration, it depends on the woman. So we have this kind of idea that a woman's cycle is 28 days. But that's not always the case. So the cycle duration does um, change woman to woman. But all in all, a woman who has a natural cycle who, so when I say natural cycle, she is not on hormonal contraceptives because that's a different conversation in and of itself um, and who ovulates will experience uh, a few different things throughout their entire menstrual cycle. So often when we're talking about the menstrual cycle we'll look at it in terms of the follicular phase and the luteal phase so two phases and they're the main phases of the menstrual cycle but within those phases there are also things that are happening that uh, are I feel warrant a little bit more nuance because these are these things that happen within these two phases can are often the I guess not so great symptoms that women experience and I think that that's where we could probably talk a little bit more about some of the things that we can do nutritionally speaking in these phases So going back to the the follicular phase, so the follicular phase is the start of your period, so menstruation until ovulation. So this is the phase where your hormone levels are at their lowest, uh, and then they start to steadily increase. So mostly in the follicular phase, we're gonna see an increase in estrogen, while progesterone levels stay relatively low. Around ovulation, we have a spike of estrogen and testosterone at around ovulation. So Mark mentioned that we recorded a podcast a little while ago about training. I would recommend that you guys go and have a listen to that because there are some training considerations around the menstrual cycle. So we'll leave that for that podcast. Um, But the spike in testosterone in this sort of period does potentially... um, explain why women feel strongest in this part of their period. So this half of their period, just before, you know, around ovulation. Ovulation is obviously where a rele- uh, an egg is released from the ovary and moves along the fallopian tube, preparing for a potential pregnancy. Now, if that doesn't happen, so the egg is not fertilized, the woman then moves into her luteal phase, so the, the second phase of her menstrual cycle. Uh, so... Luteal phase is after ovulation. This is where progesterone starts to increase um, and becomes higher than estrogen. We might see an increase in core temperature around this time. And as I mentioned, this is, well, I did mention it. I will mention it now. The luteal phase is where women tend to experience some of the negative symptoms of their period. So like bloating and increasing hunger, fatigue, etc. Um Is this and- um,
0: pre- Bleeding?
1: Yes. Yes,
0: just to clarify with that, yep.
1: Pre-bleeding. So if the egg is not fertilized in the follicular phase, that's where progesterone starts to increase and we go into the second half of the cycle and this is just before the bleed or yeah, prior to the bleed. Now, just before our bleed, we can have um, our pre-menstrual phase. So this is the few days prior to the woman's actual period and often where symptoms are at their worst so what's happening in this phase is progesterone is increasing throughout the luteal phase. Um but then they do start to drop off at around a few days before the actual bleed and this is where women can experience an increase in scale weight like pretty big increases in scale weight like Mark mentioned you know I've seen women um gain up to 1 to 2 kilos in this phase you know and we as coaches, we monitor our clients data very closely. And would you agree, Mark, that you notice, and and you would get to know your clients, right? Like you don't at the start, but you notice patterns in like your clients data. And there will be women that experience quite a a big increase in their scale weight. Have you noticed that with your clients?
0: Yeah, for sure. It's, I, it's funny because psychologically as well, just as a coach, as I train a lot of women both in say Australia and America using Americans when you're using things like pounds mm, yeah, as the measurement pounds. It, it often is yeah. like it's even, <laughs> even more pronounced because you know it might be one kilo up for a person in Australia with their measurement system but then women in America often yeah. use pounds and it's like oh like you know you see obviously pounds seems like a visually more significant kind of jump and so just naturally when you are going back and forth between Australia and America kind of clients yeah you, you do mm-hmm. know it's a big difference and just yeah so it's like oh wait you just need to go back and realize that pounds is it's not as huge as it sounds
1: yeah 100% I, I obviously going to team violin there's a I have a much higher um client base in America and I've noticed that too like four pounds for some women it's like Literally. it just happens that sounds crazy when you think about it but it's common and it's normal so hopefully this podcast just helps people to understand that that is very normal and we'll go into that a little bit more but I also just wanted to say so in the pre-menstrual phase this is where women will or potentially will start to have low energy levels fatigue Um, they might be experiencing a little bit more food focus for specific kind of foods highly palatable foods chocolate carbs etc um and they might also experience mood changes in this this phase of their cycle as well often just before their bleed uh and you might even see some gi symptoms so like tummy upset bloating that's happening just before they bleed and that's more so associated with the fact that in our luteal phase, we can see a decrease in gut transit time. So meaning it just takes longer for things to move through our gut. Uh, And that's why women might experience, they feel like sluggish. They might experience a little bit of bloating as well. And the bloating is also associated with something called prostaglandins. So prostaglandins aren't hormones, but they do play a role in the contraction of the of um, the uterus essentially. so prostaglandins are tied to inflammatory inflammation and so some women around that that time of the month they might notice they were constipated for a period of time but then as they're moving into their actual bleed so menstruation changes in prostaglandins can actually make them have diarrhea as well. so it's just super fun for women
0: around that's that stage sounds
1: fun <laughs> I wish um, I
0: yeah. so a question i have and it's kind of been on my mind and me being me I haven't really asked anyone about it so i just want to ask a question so in that phase pre kind of bleed that is when calories are potentially um expend a calorie expense uh, expended calories can somewhat increase is that due to that that kind of increase body heat is that kind of what you're kind of saying before and then to counter my question is then so if this period period when you Hmm. feel worse but you do potentially expend more calories so when often people say oh well you expend more calories the thing I've often wondered is if you're expending more calories here But if you're feeling worse, often, you know, Mm. you you generally want to move less if you're feeling worse, you know, you know, you're feeling really shit and you're feeling horrible and sluggish. Does that not potential drop in say neat levels somewhat diminish the, the rise in then the calorie expenditure from say more like heat production? Mm,
1: Yeah. So if we look at specifically, if, basal metabolic requirements increase just prior to the bleeding during the bleed there is some data to suggest that yes they do by how much not a lot like from memory it's about one to two hundred calories per day only for a few days so it's it's not a lot like when you think about a hundred calories that's a banana right for a few days but often that's not what we're we're are uh, sort of gravitating towards in terms of what we want nutritionally. Now,
0: is that is that, sorry, just to cut you off. Um, I just, I don't like cutting people off, but I just, I, 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 I'll i forget this. Um, is, is that 100, 200 calories though relative to the body weight? So, you, so you've got a woman who's 50 kilos or you've got a woman who's 90 kilos because say 100, 200 calories on a woman who's 50 kilos, that could be, you know, from a percentage-based you know, if their TDE is eighteen hundred or two thousand calories, um, a lot more than someone who weighs more, or is it? Or is it kind of again, just it, it's a range. It depends on range. the
1: yeah. Got it's it. very hard to quantify between like someone who weighs fifty kilos and someone who weighs a hundred kilos. And then, like you said, you know, you have to consider that this potential, and I say you know potential in quotation marks, increase in in calorie requirements are specific to the woman's basal metabolic rate, right? So obviously shedding of the uterine lining that hasn't um, had a successful pregnancy or this pregnancy hasn't come from that cycle. It's, you know, it, it costs energy to essentially go through that process, but that's just specific to their basal metabolic rate. So for context, basal metabolic rate is just basically the calories required to you know keep the lights on to keep your body functioning it doesn't account for you know mark mentioned something before neat so neat is the energy that we expend on subconscious movements our fidgeting our blinking um how often we sort of move about without really thinking about it and then you have the energy required for how, you know, digesting and metabolizing food. And then you have the energy required for your training. So if we say that there's an increase in basal metabolic rate specifically, that doesn't necessarily take into account that, you know, like Mark said, well, when. A lot of women around their period, they don't move as much because they might experience pain. They might experience, you know, GI upset, They're fatigue. They just don't perform as well in the gym. So could that potentially close the increase that we see in basal metabolic rate? Potentially, yes. And that's why it's very difficult to quantify. So when women are like, should I eat more during my period? It's like, well in what context, like what, like, do you, do you get what I mean? It's like, it's very hard to, to quantify that. And then when we think about hunger, hunger is not just driven by the fact that we need more calories. And I think that that's where people get confused about what experiencing hunger or an increase in appetite is. It's not always because, you know, we need more calories but when we look at the hormonal changes that women experience around this part of their cycle, progesterone has a massive impact on um, women's mood. And when that starts to steadily decrease, there are like all these different theories around why women want specific food. So like I said, 100 to 200 calories, that's a banana. But women are mostly, you know, if you talk to women and you actually have conversations with them, they find that they're really quite food focused on chocolate on your more highly palatable foods. They're not saying, Oh, I coach, I just really want an extra banana today. Right. They're finding it hard to not gravitate toward those foods. And like mechanistically speaking, it could more so be because of changes in hormones. So while we in, we experience an increase in appetite, that might not be because we need more calories. It's because of the hormonal changes that are happening. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. For example, if you, no, I was just kind of thinking, because obviously let's say you're in a dieting phase and you've lost a lot of weight and your hunger signals are there because obviously you've lost a lot of weight and saying, hey, we're in a calorie deficit. We want you to eat more food so you gain weight and you're not in a form of starvation. And so that's kind of obviously, you know, You're dieting for a long period of time, your satiety lowers, your hunger increases, and that's kind of a natural kind of defense mechanism to fat loss, right? Your body is purposely trying to make you want to eat more. Um, But what I'm kind of gathering is that that's one form of hunger signals as a response to weight loss, but from a standpoint of the period you're getting hunger signals, but it's not necessarily saying, hey, you're losing weight um, or these hunger signals are trying to get you to eat more due to your body wanting to get you out of calorie deficit. It's actually quite a different type of hunger signaling, maybe not saying, hey, you've got to get out of a deficit, something's wrong, you're losing too much weight or anything like that. It's just a byproduct of kind of the hormones that play during this period.
1: Yeah, correct. So satiety and appetite regulation is very very complex and if we look at some of the data that we have on estrogen and progesterone there there could potentially be a link between estrogen levels and satiety so going back to the follicular phase which is just after you have your bleed we have an increase in estrogen levels and some women experience um like they struggle to get enough calories in in this period of time because they might they may be and i say maybe because a lot of the i guess data that we have on this topic in general can be very mechanistic meaning like well if this happens this would naturally make this happen but that's not always the case when we actually put it through you know research and putting that through a study to determine whether or not that is the case right um, and it, it is definitely an area where we're getting more data on but I think some of these claims uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how they play out in you know five ten years because we are focusing a lot more on the menstrual cycle around women in research in general um, and I just want to preface that because I think it's important to say that just because something mechanistically might make sense, it doesn't mean it always transfers over to real world sort of application. But in the follicular phase, if estrogen levels are high, we might uh, be able to regulate our appetite a little bit more because of that connection that estrogen has with satiety. And then if we go into our luteal phase and you think about how the changes between estrogen declining and progesterone increasing we might experience more hunger just from the changes there because estrogen levels are low. And then uh, I I think I learned this actually from um, back in the days like clean health days, and I think it was a Charles Poliquin sort of thing. You you'll be able to tell me this. The whole like tryptophan um, intake pre-bed helps with serotonin and melatonin levels etc do you remember that
0: yeah so the idea was eating um something like carbohydrates at night like tryptophan um carbohydrates helped i think tryptophan across the blood-brain barrier to produce more serotonin at night to then help relax you and calm you down
1: yeah god look at you pulling pulling that from the deep edges of Mark's brain there's
0: things in there like there's not much in there there's stuff deep down you have to yeah Um, I'm sorry so let me ask you then some more I guess coaching questions all right because one of the things I think a lot of people don't understand you know as a guy who trains women right there's a there's a sense of you don't want to be like that dickhead coach. So if you say, if you get a woman right, you want her to get results and you know, Hey, I need you to adhere to the plan. But then it's also, you don't want to come off as that guy who's like, Oh, I don't, I'm not understanding a woman. If you say to your client, yeah, I get it that you're not feeling the best, but you want to lose weight. So stick to plan. And then they're coming at you being like, Oh, but I don't feel good. And I saw that you should eat more calories and your body expends more calories. So therefore I should eat more calories right now. And and then it's like okay well how much and you know for me it's like well i want to get your results and there's so much kind of gray and standpoint of you don't want to come off as that guy who's just like dismissing of you know women's problems and women's feelings and how you know how they're feeling, especially as a guy you don't get it right but you also want to come off as a person who wants to get them results and i think talking to a lot of guys you know that's often a struggle at times especially when you're training high level people and they've you know They need to get lean for something, and they've only got four to six weeks. And sure, you get some women who might not feel as bad at all, and they don't say anything. But you get other women who feel really, really bad. But then they've also got to lose weight. Um. So I guess my kind of question is with that: is it obviously it's easier if you work with someone long term? But is it a standpoint if you get a person who, for example, tends to feel quite average at that time to maybe you know this so say with a dieting block you might push say fat loss a little bit harder for say a three-week interval mm. window. and then when you have a client you've worked with for a long time you know they tend to be more susceptible to feeling really bad you instead of going say let's do a four-week you know dieting phase you might go three weeks a bit more aggressive to then go all right let's bring you up for a week because you understand that that client can potentially feel a bit worse so you're kind of then personalized personalizing your, their, their goals with your nutrition and kind of taking in the relevant information, All right, I know this client wants to lose weight, I've got one client, she feels fine pretty much for out, so I can keep her in a deficit, but I've got one other client, she always seems to feel really bad. So therefore I'm going to, yes, I know I need a deficit. So maybe let's just push the deficit a little bit harder in those weeks outside, and then let's kind of have the best of both worlds. Let's diet break in that period, but then we're not actually losing that rate of fat loss.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that is a strategy that I use with a few of my clients. And like you said, Mark, you kind of need to like get to know that client and all things aside, if we think about the hierarchy of importance, when it comes to obtaining results, it's not like, yes, calories in calories out is extremely important. It's not even the macro split. It's not even the micronutrients. The number one thing that's going to determine whether or not your client gets a result is if they are able to be adherent to the strategy that you give them, right? So if you notice that there is a period of time where that client really struggles with adherence, then yes, like talk to them about potentially, and it doesn't have to be an entire week because most of the time the symptoms don't really last that long for most women, but have a convers. You can have a conversation with them, or even people who are doing this kind of on their own. If they're using some of you know your programs, think about like think about things as a month rather than week to week. Like, what is the rate of loss that I'm trying to achieve over this entire month? And you you said it perfectly before. It's like, well, let's say hypothetically you wanted to lose. I don't know the 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 target was you want to lose two kilos a month. You're losing five hundred grams per week if we're going to take a diet break in this period of time where she's experiencing those symptoms there's a cost to that isn't there there's always a cost changing the strategy and the cost is you are okay with a slower rate of fat loss or you need to choose to go more aggressive in those weeks that we are in a deficit which is the option that feels like a better option for you? And a better question is, which one are you able to be adherent to? Because I've had clients where you have that conversation with them and they're like, you know, no, I'm just going to keep pushing them through. I'm going to keep pushing through. And you've been with them for three months and you notice, hey, adherence is always really bad in this period of time. Like it's not working. So we need to adjust the strategy. But some people, you work with a lot of competitors, Mark they they have a bit of a different mindset. They're like, I just want to get the job done. I have a timeline that I need to, you know, get to where I'm trying to go by. I don't have that flexibility. So it's mostly about asking what's going to keep your client adherent to actually get to the strategy or the goalpost.
0: Yeah, the big thing I think I've, I tend to find is, you know, it's good kind of learning about this kind of stuff but even with many aspects of personal training and you know working with people everyone's different you know everyone's kind of like a clinical trial I've heard they say you know everyone's different um how they respond to different things and even you know how you know how 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 you coach people you know how I talk to one client can be quite different to another client and so it's it's good I think to have an understanding of oh cool this is what happens um each month to some degree but you know, how each of your clients responds can be quite different. And that's one of the reasons why I like working with people for a long period of time is because you, you learn and learn and learn about them. And then the actual coaching process just gets smoother and smoother because then you, you know, have a better understanding of you know, how to talk to them and how to place different, um you know, different trainings, um, phases and stuff like that around, you know, their life and how they feel. But I, another thing I kind of wanted to chat to you about Um, in line with talking about the period and bloating is the scale. And I I love the scale. I know a lot of people don't like the scale, but I love the scale because I like any kind of form of data. And I'm a big believer that if someone's 100 kilos and then they become 80 kilos, they're probably going to look quite different. So the scale is obviously a a form of data. But for me, I have my clients weigh um, daily to get a, a nice kind of weekly average because we all we all go up and down it's not perfectly linear process and when you actually train people and and taking note of their weight each day each week what you tend to notice especially training women is those fluctuations especially that every four weeks and as a trainer more experienced now you know i i know to kind of expect that and i often cringe back i remember Years and years ago when I started out, I didn't know much stuff. And it wasn't like we knew there. And it was almost like, oh, the client's up. Oh, this fourth week. in like, you know, and you'd kind of you'd kind of not be angry at them, but just it was like, oh, there's something wrong. But now you can knowing, hey, most likely every fourth week or so, the scale is going to be up and that's normal. But I think still a lot of women I find get down on it. You know, they've done everything right and then they're they're really down on their check-in but for me it's kind of like well it's just out of your hands it doesn't doesn't mean you're not doing everything right but i still think despite all the information a a lot of women kind of take it to heart when they don't see that every single week um level of progress on the scale Mm
1: -hmm. yeah 100 percent. and that's where like it's a really interesting one because sometimes adherence can be affected by that. It's like that all or nothing sort of mentality. You know, you, you're you dieting hard, you're saying no to all the things. You want to return for that, right? That you want to return on your investment. And this is where uh, it's like, it's really important to get your client to learn how to speak scale, and understand that that is really just one metric that we're looking at. It's data. It doesn't tell the full story. Yes, it's very helpful data, but it's not always indicative of whether or not you're making progress. So with clients who do have a a big increase in their scale weight, excuse me, sorry, I'm just coughing. I ask them to be process-focused, not outcome-focused. And what I mean by that is I say to them, you're going to jump on the scale. You are going to see an increase in your scale weight. I need you to not allow what you choose to do for those for the remainder of that day be influenced by what you saw that day on the scale. So it's okay to notice the parts of you that get frustrated by that, because as I said, you want a return on your investment, but you can't control what's on this scale. And when you start to teach them, and I've had clients say this, you know, they they start to self-coach themselves. They, they'll check in with me and they'll say, oh, you know, my scale weights up this week. However, I'm just about to get my period. I haven't had a bowel motion in a few days, et cetera, et cetera. They start to automatically understand that there's something more to this data and by defining what the process is, it's like, okay, well, your process is you get to the gym, you hit your calories, you hit your macros, and you just keep doing that every every day. Don't allow it to stop you from doing what needs to be done.
0: You know, the, the thing I often like to say to my clients is if they're doing like everything right and in their calorie deficit or whatever, and the scale doesn't move that week. Something I always like to to kind of explain is that chances are if it doesn't move that week, then the next week, you are actually probably going to have a big week on the scale. And, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's, but likewise, if they have a really big drop one week, I also like to kind of preempt and tell them that probably the next week, you're probably not going to lose that. And I actually kind of pre-warn them. It's like, you know, that first week someone comes to you and they lose two and a half kilos on the scale. And, and I'm like, they're like super happy. And I'm like, Amazing work. I'm super proud of you did everything right. But just a word of warning, this second week, you're probably going to lose absolutely nothing. You're going to do everything right. And you're going to be so excited to jump on the scale and you're probably going to lose absolutely zero. And then you're going to feel shit. But just a word of warning, that's normal. But for me, when I train women with, when their scale goes up with a period, I also kind of like to explain to them that, yes, you feel a little bit average right now, but the exciting thing is that probably the next one to two weeks, you're actually going to have make really good progress. You're going to feel really, really good. You're going to notice the scale drop quite dramatically, you know? So it's, it's, it's important to understand. It's not always that kind of perfect linear um, process of weight drop week to week of equal weight drop, but every week you don't actually have a, a drop. It probably then means the next week is something to look forward to because you're going to get a that a bit more of a validation, you know. So it's like if you lose that two kilos over a month, you might still have two weeks of nothing, but you might have two weeks of one kilo drops, but you still average over that period of time um, that kind of half kilo amount over that month. Mm-hmm. So I guess some takeaways from kind of our chat, so people sitting in the car or whatever, doing, walking, listening to this. Um, The biggest thing, you know, for people to kind of take away and just for me, it was kind of the fact that yes, you do expend more calories in a um certain part of the month, but it's probably nowhere near as much as people kind of exaggerate. Cause I've heard from people, you know, it's five, six, 700 calories and this kind of dramatic kind of increase. And that's kind of um a fair bit of a myth. So, with that, like, so that kind of take home for the women out there and all the coaches as well, training people is that most likely you don't need to go, you, you know, you don't need to go, all right, you must increase your calories. You're, you're, you're not a terrible coach if you just say, Hey, all right, cool. Just keep, keep moving ahead. You know, they're feeling fine. You don't have to go, Oh my God, you know, I didn't change the calories. They're going to be in this gigantic deficit. Now you can just kind of keep things going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If they, if you're not increasing their calories, they're not going to start losing like two to 3% of their body weight across, you know, and it's like, even if you increase their calories slightly over three to four days, even if they are in a surplus, if there's, if that helps them mentally to, to not, you know, overshoot then why wouldn't you increase their calories? You know what I mean? It's like, just find the thing that works for your client.
0: So Ashley, just, uh, one more question around that is, is there any, is there any foods though that will help? Cause I know that you said, you know, you have quite different kind of cravings around that time. So if you're saying, Hey, you know, you could potentially eat one to 200 more calories. Is there any foods that could kind of meet that craving where it kind of scratches that itch where they don't feel like, oh, cool. Well, I had that food. So they might not actually even need more calories because they're just craving that food and they can work that food into their current kind of calorie um amount, a the budget they're having, or is it just a standpoint? you know it Does that kind of make sense? So if you're saying, hey, they're kind of craving a certain food and they're normally eating this X amount of foods and that makes up their say 1600 calories is there certain foods that they could add in to help with that cravings where the cravings are being met, but then therefore they don't feel like they need to have more and more calories.
1: Yeah. I hear I hear what you're saying. So
0: like a Mac, would you like, is there a, all right, cool. They're on this macro split. Is there a standpoint of, Hey, potentially rotating the macro split to a X kind of, more calories pushed towards this macronutrient or not so much
1: not so much when we look specifically to macronutrients um at least from my understanding but in terms of helping clients with um just the nutrition in general when when you consider that you're working with a woman there are other other things that we need to consider from a micronutrient perspective as well so If we know that, like, if we take aside the whole added energy requirements needed around menstruation, one thing we know impacts total daily energy expenditure is your need and your exercise performance. What else can indirectly impact how much your client moves or how much you move? Your mood. Right? How you actually feel. So I know I, I'm a very big advocate for calories in, calories out. Obviously, it's it's the, the principle of fat loss or, or whatever body composition goal you're trying to work toward. But we also need to consider what is the the quality of the, the nutrition that we are having. So when we when we look at specifically women, one thing that women are more susceptible to is a uh, in iron deficiencies. Give me two seconds, I'm about to cough again. Two seconds,
0: she's just been drinking too many cocktails, as, as always.
1: <laughs> just my standard.
0: She's style. she's angry, I interrupt her from the bar at 10. A.m. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so it's, it's iron deficiency, right? So, obviously, if the process that we go through to essentially, you know, in our menstrual cycle is ends in a bleed. We are losing blood and we are losing iron from our body. So iron can definitely uh, make us feel or low line levels, low iron levels can make us feel pretty shit. It can affect our energy levels, our fatigue levels, and therefore it decreases our overall exercise performance. It decreases how much we just generally want to move throughout the the um, days and the weeks. So I think for all women... It's really important to regularly have your iron levels checked. And I'm not saying that this is a month-to-month thing that you do, but every six months, go and get your iron levels checked, like especially if you are more plant-based or you don't consume a lot of meat because we know that the bioavailability in iron is better with meat products than it is with plant-based products. But a lot of people don't even meet their recommended daily intake of iron at all. So, and we don't really know until we kind of go and get a blood test to confirm that. So something that might be really helpful around you know your men your your actual bleed is increasing the amount of iron that you consume. So being really uh, strategic with i'm I'm going to make sure that I get a bit more iron into my diet around this period of my cycle. But just in general, like look at the quality of your nutrition throughout the whole menstrual cycle. And then there's also some evidence to show that um, magnesium supplementation might be really helpful for women, particularly around their bleed. And there was, I believe it was a systematic review done a few years ago where they took three groups and they looked at um, they they got the women to do kind of a self-reported um survey, I guess, on the PMS symptoms that they experience, which is like the mood irritability low levels, um, low energy levels, etc. They did that before the study and then they put them in three groups. One group they gave uh, magnesium supplementation to only, another group they gave magnesium and B12 supplementation to, and the third group they gave a placebo. So it wasn't magnesium or B12 at all. In the that systematic review, they did find that the the perceived rating of PMS symptoms improved across all of those three groups which is annoying because of the placebo but there was improved um, symptoms specifically with the magnesium and the b12 supplementation even compared to the placebo which might indicate that actually supplementing with magnesium b12 might be really helpful for women particularly around um, menstruation as well so to your question mark i don't I don't believe that there is anything specifically from a macronutrient perspective outside of what we already do. Eat your protein, make sure you're getting your fiber in, but we could focus a little bit more on micronutrients. What is the actual quality of that woman's diet? Because as you said, we tend to gravitate towards, I know that I, I gravitate towards chocolate way more than I usually do. And then I end up, you know, my nutrition looks worse, even though I'm hitting my calories. And then that's not helpful from an energy expenditure standpoint either.
0: Amazing. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's obviously the power of you know, the fitness industry these days there's A lot of information out there. And there's a lot of good stuff and bad stuff and a lot of stuff that can, you know, confuse you. And even like, you know, I've learned from a lot of good people and I feel like, I feel like with maybe it's just myself, obviously, but I feel like with women we seem to be learning more and more, I think, now faster than probably what I was given like from a standpoint of, you know, education a fair few years ago. It seems like I'm I'm not sure if it's more research around it, but it seems like we're getting a better understanding of certain things, um, which I think will only help getting get better results for clients and stuff like that, um, going forward. So I
1: wanna add one more thing. Don't leave down.
0: She put her hand up. She's such a nerd. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed.
1: That's all to say. <laughs> Choose me. Choose me. Um, in terms of bloating, so this is obviously something that a lot of women experience around um their luteal phase, especially just prior to their their bleed as well. So I mentioned uh, at the start of the podcast that we see a decreasing gut transit time when progesterone is a lot higher. So. Again, just repeating that that means that it takes longer for your food to move through your GI um yeah, your GI, so your gastrointestinal tract. What might be helpful is having more smaller, more regular meals throughout the day. And that for some people can kind of combat bloating or GI discomfort.
0: So you so you're saying to have small meals to stroke that metabolic fire? Sheridan, the Sheridan Sky Special.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Starvation mode—you really want to avoid that, and you know—is just... that
0: is the small meals just because it can make it a bit more easy to digest those calories coming in at that time, or is it?
1: Yeah, well, if you think about having a really big meal all at once, when you've already got a decrease in the the transit time that it's taking to move throughout your your GI, it might be more helpful to have smaller meals. So each kind of feeding you're not having to have a larger amount of food just sort of sit there um and having that slower transit time does that make sense
0: yeah spot yeah
1: and then it's like also FODMAP so I know that you recently did a podcast with it was Jake, was it Jake? yeah um I don't know if he mentioned FODMAPs but some women who are more I want to say sensitive to certain FODMAPs in like fruits, vegetables, it might be worthwhile considering uh, if you've increased your dosage of that and seeing if anything in particular kind of exacerbates that bloating.
0: Yeah, got it. So, struggling with that cough today.
1: I'm dying.
0: Jared and keeps putting the podcast on mute while
1: she coughs. (laughs) Uh,
0: amateur hour um amazing well i i think this episode should be super valuable it's definitely valuable for me as a guy who coaches a lot of women and you know i think it's always awesome when women or we all learn more about ourselves and how our bodies work as well. So I think it's super valuable um, for it. So thank you um, very, very much for um, coming on and giving us all a whole lot of information. Um, As I said earlier at the start as well, guys, we've um, did a podcast around training around your period, which was really, really helpful. I think for a lot of women, Um, we looked at a lot of the research kind of coming out um, around it, which was quite interesting. So make sure you go check out that. And there's a lot of other episodes, um, Sharon, and I have done on the Coach Mark Carroll podcast. Um, I also did a really good podcast on Sheridan's podcast um, a while <laughs> back. Sheridan has her own podcast. Um, where, where can people find that podcast I did with you, Sheridan, on your episode? I can't remember when you released it.
1: <laughs> it's in my trash because my microphone didn't work. I'm sorry.
0: Sheridan asked me to come on a podcast. I was like, oh, fine. I went on it. And I was like, when's it coming out? When's it coming out? And I think she was scared to tell me that she didn't record it properly.
1: Well, you know <laughs> what? Like uh, when Mark wants to record a podcast, he you doesn't... only get
0: one shot with Mark <laughs> Oh, and you blew it, Sheridan. Jeez.
1: No, no. When 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 you want people to come on your podcast, you get like two hours notice.
0: Yeah, that's how it <laughs> works. Jeez. He, he, I told you, you gotta, you gotta, gotta take your chance
1: yeah so I'm up to the plate I'm like I want to read all of the research and all of the things and he's like nah get on you have to pull it from the brain right now do it otherwise never again
0: that's it yeah (laughs) well thank you so much for coming on um also where can obviously everyone find you and what do you have to offer and as well would you like to talk to everyone quickly just about the pregnancy series training program so a lot of you will know we've had well over a thousand women now use our um, pre and postnatal training series, um, which is on Um So yeah, Sharon, do you want to give everyone a rundown for those not familiar um, with those programs and what we cover?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I'm mainly active on Instagram, Sharon and Skyfit. I do try TikTok, but I feel like I'm too old for it. And it just doesn't She
0: just, she just dances though. If that's her thing.
1: Uh, I feel like my dancing is just so good that like people don't appreciate it. But anyway, um, I offer one-on-one coaching. Uh, so if if you guys want coaching, you're always welcome to apply. Uh, shameless plug there. But in terms of our pre and postnatal program, so this is a something that I collaborated with with Mark after I had my second baby. So little Evie was two days old and Mark was like, Hey, I've got a great idea. Let's build out this pre and postnatal course together. I wouldn't
0: have done it in a week.
1: (laughs) So. Excuse me. We, um, we built out those programs together. And that was really just because, you know, I feel like a lot of the pre and postnatal stuff that is on the market today is, You know, all movement is great, but I feel like women particularly who weightlift, there's just such a lack of resources available to them. So we built out those programs a few years ago now, and it's kind of similar to what I was saying at the start of the podcast. There is so much um, information that is given just based off of potential quote unquote mechanistic data and pre and postnatal is one of them. And I'm actually really excited for some of the research that's coming out with the pre and postnatal sort of space to really help women um, who do want to weightlift lift, who, who want to retain their muscle mass. And it's okay to have these questions about, you know, I've worked really hard for this physique. How do I, one, safely navigate pregnancy in my postpartum period, decrease the risk factors of, you know, complications, and then return to my, um, you know, my my pre-baby, not aesthetics but my fitness levels and that is totally doable and that's just really what these programs help women through it's you know navigating resistance training specifically throughout pregnancy and then guiding them on a journey from the moment they give birth until you know the point where they want to get back into the bikini body series or your glue coach and just really helping them to do that safely so we've had a lot of great feedback from those programs. And I'm
0: always wanting to build on them as well. Yeah. I'll just also add in just importantly is that they're not just, you know, a PDF kind of training program. They're extensive research like you will learn so, so much from Sheridan. Sheridan is, you know, one of the best minds, you know, on this. And that's what she works with, you know, team by Elaine. She puts out a lot of amazing content all around pre and post nail. Training, nutrition, and stuff like that. And that's also all covered in the pregnancy series. So if you want to, you know, really dive in, if you're a woman who wants to learn how to you know, train intelligently. And I think the big thing as well, you know, I've learned from Sheridan around, you know, training in that time period is it's not so much about your training level. Like just because you're an advanced lifter doesn't mean you lose Out on the benefits of what you'd get training specifically to your program in that period of time.
1: Mm, Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I literally built them for the time in space I I was when I fell pregnant with Ellie, and I was like the leanest I'd ever been. I'd worked really hard for the physique that I had at that time, and then I didn't know how to even navigate, you know, pregnancy. And everywhere I kind of looked, I was like, I don't know how to do this. So I spent the better part of four years like just building out a program that I really needed at that time. And like I said, this is a space where we are learning so much more about. So um to probably Mark's dismay where I'm like, I want to add more and I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to make better. It's always changing. So I I find it very exciting. But to Mark's point, it's like yeah you it's you're not too advanced for these programs. Like your body is changing in a lot of ways throughout pregnancy and more specifically in your postpartum period. And something that I really learned, you know, having two kids is I knew my body in pregnancy. Like I knew how it moved and I was able to, you know, quote unquote, listen to my body, but come coming into my postpartum period, I had no idea how to support myself. So this program just gives you, you know, something to follow where you don't have to think you're already thinking about how do I become a mom? How do I do this properly? thinking about you know sterilizing bottles and putting prams together and doing all these things that are very new to you, it can be really overwhelming to have any energy to give elsewhere. So that's really what we wanted to provide in these programs, just somewhere you could come where you knew it was safe, it was effective, and also to have a community. So I think that they're great, even though I'm biased, but I think that they're pretty
0: good. She did well. They're they're excellent. The reviews have been amazing. And guys, they're going to be on sale for Black Friday as well. So perfect chance to go invest into these. So Sheridan, I just want to say a big thank you. I'm sure the audience will really appreciate it. And everyone out there, make sure if you're not, go follow Sheridan on um, Instagram and go check her out and learn from her. You'll learn a lot. And yeah, so guys, if you enjoyed this episode, all the ladies out there, please let us know by sharing the podcast um, to your stories, share the podcast, tag Sharon and myself, and let us know that you enjoyed it. So we know to put out more of this content. All right. Thanks so much, Sheridan.
1: Bye guys.